Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Around the World Sports. My name is Aaron Shellen, and today we are going to talk Boston Bruins hockey with Boston Hockey Now reporter Jimmy Murphy. Jimmy's got over 15 years experience covering the NHL, the Bruins, and the NCAA. We talk a little bit about the season that was the bubble season for the Bruins, their underwhelming offseason. I get Jimmy's take on if any of the Providence Bruins or any of the younger prospects will make a difference this year. If the Bruins have a shot in the upcoming 2020-2021 season. And then we also take a little bit of time to talk about a couple of the more uh, polarizing figures in the Bruins lineup. Hope you like it. All right, so I am joined now by BostonHockeyNow.com writer Jimmy Murphy. Jimmy, thanks, uh, thanks for taking some time with me today. I, I appreciate it. I know you're you're a little under the weather today, so so thanks for for taking some time with me this afternoon. Oh, no problem, man. Appreciate it. So before we get into kind of the upcoming season, um, yeah, whenever that's going to start, January at this point, but I want to I take a quick look back. I want to spend more time talking about the offseason and, and kind of what the upcoming, seasons, upcoming season looks like, but I want to talk a little bit about, or at least get your thoughts on, on how last year played out. There are really two things in, uh, in, in it specifically that I'd like to get your, your feedback on, and the first is... What was your take on the the whole Tuka Rask situation? Him, you know, opting out of the bubble after you know initially opting in. What what was your take on that whole situation? Because there were a lot of people on both sides of the fence. Well, I mean, for anyone who follows me knows I'm pretty much a Tuka Rask uh, supporter when it comes down to the whole Rask debate in Boston. I mean, obviously he's been a polarizing. I don't. I'm not blaming him for that. He's just unfortunately for him. He's become a polarizing figure in Boston sports uh, and kind of a lightning rod for controversy. Um, and my take is, you know, for any of us, I don't know if you have children, but I do. I have a nine-year-old daughter and, um, you know, I don't care what I'm doing. If if I get a and – and, you know, I'll, I'll tell our listeners here I'm divorced. I don't live with her. But if I got a call that she was in distress – uh, and something had happened with her, you can bet I'm either in a car or a plane or whatever the heck I'm in, I'm finding a way, whether it's planes, trains, and automobiles, to get the hell home, uh, get over to her and, and be with her because that's what a dad does. And that, that's what we do for our children. So, you know, for all the, the people out there that, you know, call Tuca, uh, you know, I'm not going to say some of the words actually yeah. out of respect for your show, but, you know, for people that were knocking him and insulting him and calling him soft. I mean, frankly, they can kiss my ass and they should kiss his ass too, because I, I just think it's disgusting that people can't. And it's just, it's just a, a big reflection and forget sports. It's a reflection of where society is right now. Um, and I think it's disgusting that people wouldn't just instantly support that. Who cares about the Stanley cup? I'm sorry. I mean, hockey isn't everything. And, and of all times to not realize that this world we're in right now, you know, we were just talking about it off the air about the pandemic and everything. And, you know, Coincident, 
not so coincidentally, a lot of the people that I saw, at least on my Twitter feed or that commented in, in, in Boston Hockey Now and the stories we wrote covering it would be the same people that think that coronavirus is a hoax. So it just shows you the intelligence uh, that a lot of these people have. Look, I back them 100 percent. That being said, and I talked about this earlier on another podcast I did today, is I do get the where the frustration came from. This was not a time where you you let that frustration with Rask. If you're against Rask or you know you've got an issue with him, this is one of those times you just kind of turn a blind eye and you you, you say, okay, he's got to do what's right. But if we're going to talk about the specific frustration, I get where that's coming from, and. Uh, let's go back to 2018. I believe it was right around now. I, I might, I, I swear to God, it was right around veterans day in November of 2018. Uh, the Bruins announced that Tuca's is taking a leave of absence and he's out for what, like three to five games. I forget the exact number. Yeah. Um, he comes back. He just says it was family reasons and that's it. Uh, I actually heard numerous things that I didn't report and I never will. Um, but if even one of the look, I know Tuka pretty well. I know his agent well. Uh, Tuka's been nothing but good to me. I've got all the respect for him in the world. And even if what I did here is true, people make mistakes. But I did hear that it is something that people wouldn't like. And I think that a lot of the Bruins, teammates, coaches, management, ownership, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. And usually if there's a fire, they're going to know too. And I, I think that that combined with a few years back before that, 2016, last day of the season, they're playing the Ottawa Senators, win they're in the playoffs, lose they're out of the playoffs, and Tuca shows up with the shits. I mean, plain and simple, that's what mm-hmm. happened. He showed yep. up in the morning, it was an afternoon game, he got there about 10, and I, I've been told this by numerous teammates that were there in that dressing room. He came in, he went right to the bathroom, and he, he was glued to the toilet. Uh, there were lots of stories about what, you know, put him in that situation. Uh, none of them probably good. And I think that, you know, his teammates kind of knew that. I mean, he tried to go out for warm-ups, and I'm told that that day Claude Julian said, screw you, go home, you let us down. And, of course, they lost that game and didn't make the playoffs. So both within the organization and externally within the media and fans, there's been a lot of, people that just can't seem to move past some of the instances he's had in the last five years. And I get it. You know, I mean, they look at him as a guy who went, you know, when it counted, then he let his team down and then they look at it now and say it, it counted again. It's in the playoffs and he just gets up and leaves. I just think they need to take this one, and treat it like a one-off. If there's a patent with the other things, then so be it. But I just think this specific thing, people need to shut up and just say, Hey, it's family. That, that is what it is. And, and I've confirmed numerous times the Bruins have said it. Tuka said it. Uh, I, I've had, I've had people that work in the hospital, his daughter, and tell me this. I mean, it, it, at what point do you accept that was the truth? Right. And if that, if that truth isn't enough for you, then I just think you're, you're either not a parent or you're a really shallow person. Yeah. I've you, you said this at the beginning. I, I have four kids, so I'm, I'm in that same boat as you. If one of my kids needed me, I would drop what I was doing and I would go be with my kids. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and I get the frustration, you know, if, if Tuca, you know, it was also elevated because he joined the team, made a comment about how it didn't feel like real hockey and then opted out. Yeah. I, the I th- timing for that was horrible. And it, the thing was, 
I know. And I think you're right. That's a great point by you. I forgot about that. That obviously triggered a lot of the frustration. They're like, wait a minute. He says this and then he leaves. What the hell? Right. So yeah, good point. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that's, that's fine. You know, but, but, you know, I guess as, as a, as a fan of the Bruins, you know, I'm one of those people who can look at it and say, you know, Tuca clearly hockey's not the most important thing in Tuka Rask's world. And, and, and that's fine. You know, I mean, he's an athlete. It's his job. It's not the most important thing to him. And, and occasionally it comes out. But where would the Bruins be over the last decade without him? So, you know, you got to you got to take the good with the bad. And, and if and if you're going to celebrate the victories, you know, you're right. I think sometimes you got to cut these guys, cut these guys some slack, especially with what's going been going on here over the last nine or ten. So the, the, yeah, I, I want to say quickly before you go yeah, on there and sure. great point, where would they be without him? And you're exactly right. And that's, that's what I don't get. And for all those who point to 2013 and 2019 and say that he choked in the big game, not really. Right. Let's, let's look at, I mean, let's, let's think about that for a second, right? I'll tell you this, the sweep of the Pittsburgh Penguins in the Eastern conference final in 2013 was probably the closest sweep. Besides the Sabres, the year of Mayday, 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 sweeping the Boston Bruins in 1993, those were all very close games. And I, I've talked to many alumni, Bruins and Sabres alike, that were in that game and played in that series that said that was like a seven-game series in a four-game sweep. It was really weird. And if you go back and you talk to any of the guys that have retired now from the Penguins or the Bruins in 2013, they say one common threat from both sides they say the only reason the Bruins not just swept that series, but won that series, which how many times do you hear that sentence was to Rask. and go back and watch every one of those games and, and, and just tell me how many times he prevented that series from turning the other way around and the Penguins, you know, probably getting what they deserved. I mean, I, I think the Penguins outplayed the Bruins in that series. And I know that's hard to say in a sweep, but sometimes it happens. And that's what happened there. And then you go ahead to 2019. Oh, and first of all, we go to game six in 2013 against the Blackhawks. Okay, they let up those goals in the last few minutes. But what led, like, what really leads to that? When a team collapses like that in the last couple minutes, it's usually obviously exhaustion, okay, mentally and physically. And it's also they don't have enough depth. And go look at the lineup. Some guys were hurt. Some guys weren't stepping up the way they should. There are a lot of guys that – that went silent at a, at a most crucial time. It's a team sport. And unless they were just complete, you know, goals that he should have had, which none of them were, I don't know how you blame Tukaras there. And then you fast forward to uh, 2019 and like, they don't sniff the Stanley cup final. if not for Tukaras. His dominance in, again, in another sweep in the Eastern conference final that year was insane. Go back to game two, the Carolina hurricanes. You remember that game. They looked like they were going to turn that series around. They were going to knock that series at one. And Tuca just shut the door. And I think that just cemented the series right there. So before you speak and you just throw out, you know, the, the easy thing to say and you follow the crowd, do some research, please. If you still don't like Tuca Rask after that, then so be it. If you come to me, I want a good Tuca Rask argument from the, you know, the anti-Tuca Rask mm -hmm. people. And the only one that can really give it to me is my colleague, Joe Haggerty. And that's why I respect him. And that's why he's part of Boston hockey now, because he can at least back his talk up. But when it comes to the Tuca haters, a lot of them can't. Yeah, Hags, uh, 
Hashtag Tuca's fault. That's 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 something that's something that he's known for. And, you know, I mean, everyone's entitled to their own opinions. But I look at it from the perspective of if not Tuca, then who? Like, if you don't want Tuca Rask as the starting goalie for the Boston Bruins, that's fine. What's the alternative? And and that's kind of where the anti Tuca crowd gets stuck, because there is no real alternative. So, yeah, so it's not Yarrow no, I, I, I wrote about this and I took a, I took a beat. Actually, I got a, I got a text from Halak's agent, Alan Walsh. I uh, wasn't too happy with the column I wrote, <laughs> but I said, you know, if Tuca goes down again or he, you know, gets up and leaves again this season in his shortened season, Yarrow Halak ain't carrying him because Yarrow Halak showed us in the playoffs. He is no longer a starting goaltender. And I don't think he can go longer than a three to four game stretch without losing. I, I just don't see it. And yeah. You know, and that's no knock on him. It's just where he is. You know, I'm, I'm 46. You know, I'm not where I was uh, when I was, uh, you know, 30 something or whatever. You know, he is not going to be the Yarrow Halak of 2010. And he hasn't been that guy in a long time that took the Canadians uh, almost to the Stanley Cup final on his back. He He's good. I think he's a great stopgap. He's, he's probably the best backup they've had. And I know people, what about Anton Hudobin? Well, Anton Hudobin wasn't Anton Hudobin today. He wasn't right. that. Yeah, candy. Dobby's a better goaltender now than he was four yeah. years ago. For he, he's kind of like Tim Thomas, but that's a whole nother yeah. topic we get into. But you make a great point, and I think that's why Tuka Rask is still a Boston Bruin right now because no matter what the Bruins say or Tuka Rask says, uh, they were ready to part ways heading into this offseason, and the Bruins definitely listened and, and poked around to see what they could get, not only for Tuka, but what they could get to replace him. And in this year where there were more goalies available via trade or free agency than I could ever imagine. If there was ever a year for them to look at it and say, Hey, great. We got tons of goalies. We can unload Rask like we want to. They tried. So I don't know why they couldn't do it, but they didn't. And the fact is they're now stuck with him. I think Rask is gone after this year, whether he retires, or he signs elsewhere. I think that's a given, but for now, Bruins fans better, that don't like Tuka Rask need to just suck it up and hope for the best. One more year with him. So, so really quickly, um, what was your, I guess, postmortem on, on this past season? It was obviously unlike anything we had ever seen before. Did, did you consider the 2019, 2020 Bruins in full a success or did you expect more out of them, even with the stoppage and the bubble and, and everything that went along with it? You know, you know, I, I I'm having this with pretty much every pro sport right now. It's, it's hard for me to not, not that I'm not, I'm not trying to diminish the accomplishment of winning a championship. Like, you know, the Tampa Bay lightning have, or the LA Lakers have, or the LA Dodgers have uh, over the last few months uh, in their various uh, coronavirus shortened seasons. Um, I'm not trying to diminish that, but I think it, I do think it's okay. Whether you're on the losing end or the winning end, you know, just kind of look at this as a walk-off. Uh, it's like, forget about it. I mean, sh- what are you going to do? This is a, it's a pandemic. Yeah. I mean, the world is upside down right now. You know, like our election, the pandemic, everything. It's just, it's like we're in some purgatory, you know, and I, I don't, I can't be too critical of them. The only critique I would have, and it had nothing to do with the pandemic. It happened pre-pandemic would be the NHL trade deadline. And I think that, you know, Don Sweeney didn't go out and really address. I know he tried, but he was unable to address what they really needed. And what they needed was what the Tampa Bay Lightning got at the deadline. 
and leaning into it. They needed a Barclay Goodrow. They needed a Blake Coleman. They needed guys that could put the puck in the net and also be a presence down low and, and just really wear down the opposing defense. They also needed another rugged guy on defense. And Brandon Carlo, whether they want they want to admit it or not, is never going to be that guy. Brandon Carlo, to me, is the new wave Hal Gill. He, okay, Ooh, that's harsh. <laughs> no, wait to where I'm going here. Okay, harsh because you immediately thought of Hal Gill's time in Boston. Yeah. Let's look at his career after he left Boston when coaches actually accepted him for what he was and put him in the perfect role. Oh, Hal Gill can show you something on his finger that shows how if you play who I am and you let me do what I can do and not just look at my size and say I need to be, you know, the next Chris Pronger, um, then I'm going to help you. And that's what he did. Hal Gill, the, the Pittsburgh Penguins don't win the Stanley Cup in 2009 without Hal Gill. And any guy in that team will tell you that because he was the best shutdown defenseman in the playoffs that year. That's what I think Brandon Carlo is morphing into. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the Bruins need to realize that. I'm sure they do. They need to address it. They need to say, all right, at the deadline, they should have went out and found like a mid-grade, you know, rugged type defenseman because what happened against St. Louis? They couldn't handle – you know, a Pat Maroon down low. And if you look at what happened in the Tampa series, my 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 final vision of Tory Krug's Boston Bruins career is him just basically getting ragdolled every game down, you know, in front of the Bruins net by the by that line with the good Joe and the Coleman and I, who was the other guy there? Yanni Gord? Yep. All right, by that line. He, he just they destroyed, they won the series to me. And, and when a third line is winning a five-game series, you need to reevaluate your lineup and how you're addressing it. Well, you can go back. I mean, you want to talk about contributions up and down the lineup. I mean, look at the 2011 team. I mean, those third and fourth lines are yeah. really what allowed, uh, you know, I mean, the Merlot line and 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 the third line with with Peverly and, you know, I Kelly. Mean, yeah, and Kelly on it. I mean, those and those were both and and, and those were, were deadline pickups. And that's really what yeah. what lengthened that lineup and allowed the Bruins to be so successful in 2011. Yeah. And, you know what? That's great you bring that up. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty tight with Pierre Maguire, and he always brings this up when he talks about that team. Is the first thing he goes to is he says, the Boston Bruins don't win the Stanley Cup without Sean Thornton, Daniel Pae, and Gregory Campbell. It, it doesn't happen. They don't win game seven. And if you go back and look at that game, there's a moment where Sean Thornton, early in the game, he's skating by the Vancouver bench, and he stops and – Allah, who was it? Was it Wayne Cashman back in the day, or who challenged that bench when they were playing the Rangers back in the seventies of the Big Bad Bruins? I forget mm. who it was, but there's a great scene there where one of the Bruins is—he just puts his arm up, waving to the bench, like "Come get me," to the whole bench. Yeah. Of course, that ended up in a major brawl, but we know that's never going to happen that's in today's hockey out. world. And that's why it was even funnier because Thornton knows that they can't do anything. But he's just looking at him like, and you look at his mouth, and he says, "I own you." Pierre McGuire was down between the benches and he told me he saw the whole thing unfold and the look on the Vancouver faces was like, we're screwed. And they knew right then and there, they were not going to win that game. So, you know, people can point to all their analytics and everything, but when it comes down to it, when, what wins in the playoffs is heart and grit. And unfortunately the Bruins didn't have enough of the latter in this playoff. Yeah, you know, and and so so we talk about how the Bruins came up a little short at the trade deadline with with Richie and and Kasha and 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 the offseason has has really been more of the same. I mean, losing Krug to St. Louis, uh not 
you know, making that splashy move with Taylor Hall or Alex Pietrangelo. Uh, there hasn't been any movement on Chara, no new contract for Jake DeBrusque, Craig Smith being the only signing so far in the offseason. So let's, before we, because I, I, I want to talk a little bit about Craig Smith because he is the one acquisition so far this year. But before yeah. we get to that, I want to talk about the moves that they didn't make. So you obviously, you're an insider. You've got, you know, you've got your ear to, to kind of that, the, the, the floor here. Were they in on any of those big names? Were they in on Hall or Pietrangelo or, and, and just got outbid? Or were they never serious contenders for those, for those players? Well, here's what I'll tell you first is they were trying to do everything we just discussed and address that need. They were in on Blake Coleman. They were in on Barclay Goodrow. In fact, they were in on Goodrow neck and neck with Tampa Bay. And, and you know, Tampa's offer just won out. That was it. And, and I think this leads to something else, and it may, it may be reserved for another, another show or something because we could talk forever. I think that leads to the lack of solid drafting by the Sweeney administration uh, since he's taken over as GM is that, you know, Tampa had the first rounders. Tampa had the, the high-end prospects that they could send to these teams to get the guys they want. And, you know, people, I remember people looking at them, well, you just gave up that much for a Blake Coleman and Barkley. Well, yeah, because that's what wins in the playoffs. And, you know, they were in on those guys. I think they did they do a diligence on everyone, but I don't believe they have ever been as close to Taylor Hall as reported. I really don't. I, I, I just think, I think they're at a stage where they know they're heading into a rebuild. I mean, it's already begun on defense. I mean, the fact that Zanane Char isn't signed yet completely tells you that a youth movement is underway. And if they can squeeze them in at the end, then so be it. Um, that's how it's, that's where it is right now, Zanane Char. So they were in on a lot of big guys. Uh, I had reported, though, and it did happen. I had reported for a while that they were in on Kasha. And, you know, I, I think that maybe uh, – what the heck's the guy's name on defense? Let me pull it up. There was a guy I remember hearing that might have been included in that Kasha deal, which would have made that deal a lot more better. It was a defenseman that Sweeney's wanted forever. I don't know why I can't think of it. Sorry. No, One okay. second. I'll pull it up for you. Yeah. Um, Sweeney and Bob Murray, I think out of any GM that he spoke to leading into that deadline, he had the most conversations with him, and it's no shocker that they ended up doing a deal. Oh, it was Cam Fowler. Oh, wow. Really? Okay. Yeah. From what I was told, Sweeney wanted to really do a blockbuster type deal. Yeah, that's and that's a big obviously move. what it would take to get Cam Fowler. I don't know who would have been going the other way. I don't have the details on that, but I know that he was really after him and there's a big no. And that was it. So you mentioned Chara and, and the delay there. Is this something that we could see? going into training camp, you know, the team trying to see what they have with their young defensemen before coming back to Chara and saying, we want to bring you back or, or, I mean, is, is Chara really exploring his options as he said a month ago or so? Yes. He is. Okay. Yes. And other teams are exploring him. And one of them's one we talked about a lot today and that's the Tampa Bay lightning. There, there has been more than one conversation between Matt Keeter and Julian Brisebois. I can tell you that as a fact. And the Tampa Bay Lightning, if they can maneuver some cap space, and they wouldn't really need to do that much to get Char, right? Because mm. you got to figure, 
I don't think he's going to go at the league minimum at 750, but I think Char is willing to do a one year, one year, one million bonus Latin deal, just like the ones he did with the Bruins. He's, he's willing to do that going forward. He gets where he's at. But from what I'm told, and I wrote about this on Boston Hockey Now, is that, you know, he didn't like how diminished his role would be with the Boston Bruins. And he kind of took that as a slap in the face. And that's where talks broke off and they're still broken off. And I think, at, you know, once we see a timetable for a calendar here, for an NHL calendar, uh, training camp, the season, what have you, once we get that calendar, I think if the Bruins don't sign Char within a week, max, he's not coming back. He'll sign with somebody else. It's not going to go all the way to training camp because let's, Let's be real. Char is 43 years old. All right. Not that he doesn't work out better than most 18 year olds. Right, yeah. You know, I, I, I'm not diminishing how, how psycho he is when it comes to fitness. And that's awesome. I, I he just knows where he's at, that he needs to be in, he needs to act, not just in terms of physically, but he needs to mentally acclimate himself. If it's a different situation than the one he's known for the last, you know, 14 years, what have you uh, here, here in Boston, he, this is a big thing, man. I mean, like you, you've only known one place and probably thought this is where you're going to retire. So that's going to be a culture shock for him. So I would think I'm just thinking as Char here, I want to get this done ASAP. So I, I would imagine they're going to go back to the Bruins right when the NHL announces something here, and that could come within the next week. They're going to go back to him and say, say to Don Sweeney, uh, you got a deal. Can you do this? Can you prove it just a little? We'll stay. If not, we're out of here. And that's what I think is going to happen. And that'll be something if uh, if if what next season we see Chara in a in a in a lightning uniform, you know. But it I've, makes a ton of sense. I mean, he could be the perfect fit for them to get the back to back. He doesn't have to do anything. He doesn't he doesn't have to be the superstar. He doesn't have to be the captain. Yeah. He doesn't have to have that pressure anymore. Yet you know he can be a great guy for them to lean on, even for Victor Hedman to lean on. Yeah, so, I mean, you don't. He, they they wouldn't need him on the power play. You know, they yeah, could. But they, the they presence could, he brings on the bench. Right, right. They could take advantage of him on the PK if they wanted to. But you know, yep. you put him in there as a as a bottom three pairing with a with a young defenseman like they, like the Bruins have done over the last yeah. couple of years, putting him with with Charlie McAvoy and putting him with Brandon Carlo before then. I mean, you, you stick him with a young defenseman, and that young defenseman's going to learn a ton in in one year from Zdeno Chara, but. To see him in a lightning uniform, man, that would be that would that would that would hurt a little bit as a Bruins I'll, fan I'll, for sure. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll try. I, I'm not trying to hurt you, but I might hurt you even more <laughs> to let you know that the other two teams, I, I'm told, would be the front runners for him when when they start talking to teams again, are the New York Islanders and get ready, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, that that one I don't know if I could. I, that 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 one would be tough. So it'd be interesting, yeah. ab- absolutely interesting to see what happens. I mean, anytime you get a uh, you and, know for any any team that's that's a lifer, you know, to to picture yeah. him in in another uniform is is tough. So so let's let's talk a little bit about the move they did make. Let's talk about Craig Smith. So he's he's not a sexy name, but from he seems to fit nicely into the Bruins lineup. He's a 20 20 goal a year scorer. Uh, last year he only put up 18 goals, but he's 20 goals in 5 of his last 7 seasons. So what does Craig Smith bring to the table and and where where do you see Bruce Cassidy kind of slotting him into the lineup? I I think uh, that that's probably 
the biggest, you know, where do I see him slotting in the lineup? I think, I think that's the greatest thing about Craig Smith is I think he is the perfect uh, kind of Swiss army knife type player uh, to have, you know, or you, you want to put it in baseball terms, a utility guy uh, that can kind of switch positions a lot. I think he can play either wing from what I'm told. Um, and I, I think he's going to just bounce up and down between, you know, I think to start the season, he, he'll, he likely will be in Parsonek's spot, I think, on the top line to start the season next to Bergeron. Um, I think that his two-way game will fit Bergie well and vice versa. And he's, he has scored 20 goals five times, so he can provide some offense. But I think overall, once everyone's healthy, he's a he's a middle six guy. And, you know, if if Kasha continues to be a disappointment, then then maybe he's on the right side there with Krejci and potentially DeBrusque if they sign him and don't trade him. Um, you know, I, I think he's a he's a he's a perfect guy, I think, for them right now. The problem is, is they didn't get the more perfect people yet. They they. You know, if you if you're ranking on a on a one to five, five being the highest ranking of what what I needed if I was Don Sweeney going into the season right now, then I'd put Craig Smith at a four or a three. I'd lean, I'd actually lean more towards a four. I think he's going to be a very valuable player, and I, I think he's a great player. The problem is, I think that Bruins fans are just so pissed off right now that they haven't done anything bigger that they're not really able to appreciate this was a good pickup. Yeah, Bruins fans have a tendency to to overreact to things both positively and negatively. So that that, that brings up a, a, actually a couple of good points. And and the first is we were we talked earlier about the Tuka Rask hate. One of the other players who's who's a polarizing figure in in the Bruins lineup is David Krejci. I'm of the mindset that David Krejci is an invaluable member of the of the Bruins lineup. If if David Krejci had consistent wingers on his left or right, I think you would see that 65, 70, 70 point a year player, not the 45 and 50 points. So if, 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 if Craig Smith can slide into that role or, and this is something I'm going to ask you about, if, if maybe it's not Craig Smith, maybe it's David Pasternak on that second line with, with Krejci and DeBrusque. I think you, you see the David Krejci that, that, that we get, frankly, that we get almost every postseason. I mean, playoff Krejci is, is a different beast. So that's, 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 I guess that's my take on Krejci. Do you, do you agree? Do you disagree? Uh, I agree a hundred percent. I think David Krejci are, well, no, I mean, that would be too harass, but let, next to Rask, you could have, you could say David Krejci is one of the most underappreciated Boston athletes ever. Mm-hmm. Um, just look at the consistent numbers he's put up. Uh, look at how many times he played hurt and led the team in scoring in the playoffs. I mean, his stats in 2011 and 2013 uh, and those cup, you know, those runs to the cup final, just, just insane. Yeah. Uh, and this guy, I mean, throughout the league, again, it's like Bruins. I always try to tell Bruins fans and I get it. I, you know, I grew up a Bruins fan. I understand what it's like to be a fan, but I think, you know, thankfully one thing that being a reporter has t- taught me is to be objective and take a step back and kind of see it from different points of view. And, you know, there's 30 other NHL teams that would love David Krejci to have been their center uh, for the, well, I guess you could say 28 since two of the teams weren't there, but you know what I mean? There's so many teams that would love to have had that consistency up the middle of David Krejci and Patrice Bergeron. I I think one of the best one-two punches in the history of the Boston Bruins, when you talk about your first and second line centers, he's not the problem. And I really, I, I want, you know, everybody says, Oh, it'd be nice to see Char come back and win one more cup with the Bruins and Bergie one more. I'll tell you what, 
I would love to see the Bruins win one more cup and David Krejci get the con smites because I just think he's he's so underrated and he yeah trust me I talked to him off the record and he knows the shit that he gets from fans and media and it yeah it gets to him but you know what sure he never he never mouths off he, he does his talking with his stick and I'm with you if he you know Nathan Horton doesn't get hurt or you know leave for free agency uh who knows what could have happened so I I love him there I think but he, you going back to your right wing question there I think a dark horse to see slide into that right slot next to Krejci and DeBrusque is Jackson Nico. That's who I would keep an eye on is, is your dark horse to maybe by the end of the year, be the right wing on a second line based on talking to some of the players and what they think of his games, the coaching staff, the guys in Providence, the scouts. Uh, they said that he, it's a common thread I've gotten that he would pair up pretty well with Krejci because like Krejci, and this is no offense to DeBrusque, he thinks the game better than most people. And that's his biggest skill. Uh, and that's great. It's good to hear that for the future of the Boston Bruins, that they have a player like that who really knows how to think the game. So you put two thinkers next to each other like that, maybe Krejci finally finds that consistent winger he needs. And and, and that kind of leads me into, into the next question, because I have a prospect related question for you here in a minute but but when it comes to that top line when it comes to to Bergeron and and Marshawn and Osternock is this the year that Cassidy finally breaks it up or do you think the same thing's going to happen this upcoming season that happens every season where you know you might see Pasternak on a different different line for for a couple of games but when push comes to shove 63 37 and 88 are going to be on the same line together well, first off, I don't think that um, that he gets enough credit, Cassidy, that is, uh, for trying Parsonak there. I mean, maybe they don't start the game as much, and I think that's what I think as fans and media, we all get fixated on is who are the lines starting the games. But I, I would imagine that if you watched eight out of every 10 Bruins games from last season, okay, and there's a lot of factors that would ride into it, whether it's in-game, injuries, what have you, they were together at one point in the game. He always does it. Nobody talks about what he does between, you know, between the whistles. They always talk about how the game starts. So I think, yes, we're going to continue to see him utilize those guys together and, and, and switch it up a lot because I think that's Cassidy's greatest asset is he knows how to adapt. Uh, and I don't think it's necessarily fair that so many people look at him adapting game to game as opposed to in game, because when it comes down to it, I'd rather a guy that adapts better in game than game to game. Because you don't have to adapt game to game if you can do that. So I, I just think that it's something we may not see to start a game, but we'll always see within a game. And I'm just the type that if it's not broke, why fix it? And that top mm. line is one of the best lines we've seen in the last 10 years in the NHL. So unless they go cold for like five games, it's too bad what the other lines are doing. It's up to them to step up and not for, for Cassidy to break up his best offensive weapon. That's that's my take too. I mean, you have you have the best, if not one of the top two or three best lines in the NHL. Don't screw with it. You know, try 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 to work those other three lines out and just let let those three do what they do. So you mentioned um uh Jack Stadnika and, and some of the other and you mentioned earlier that that there's going to be a youth infusion this year on on the Bruins on the Bruins roster. Some of those younger players got a taste last year. Stagnica got a few games in. Jeremy Lausanne, Trent Frederick, 
Vakanainen. I mean, some of these guys, they got a few games in last year. Which of those, which of those, I guess, quote unquote, top prospects do you think are going to be, if any of them are going to be kind of those full-time contributors this year? And, and are there other prospects that you think are going to make um, either an impact this year or, or going to kind of, you know, make themselves known in the upcoming season? I, you know, I hate to paint a grim picture here, um, <laughs> but I think it's a guy I already referenced is Danica. Okay. I don't see the rest of those prospects being NHL ready. And that includes a guy that is not going to have a choice, but to be NHL ready. And that's Jacob Zaboro on defense, who for some unknown reason, the Boston Bruins decided to give a one-way contract. I've talked to numerous scouts in the last few weeks. And if you actually Joe Haggerty had a great piece up where he was going through all the prospects. I urge uh, our listeners here to subscribe and, and read that column because you know, he talked, I know, to a few GMs, a few assistant GMs, some scouts, some coaches, some players about all these prospects that you just mentioned. And they all consistently said that Jacob Zaboro is not an NHL player. But right now, he is an NHL player because the Bruins decided to give him a one way. So they are now stuck with him and will have to either lose him in waivers for nothing and still pay some of that money or trade him. And They've been trying to do the for, uh, the, the latter for a while now, and it didn't work. This this whole move made no sense to me. Uh, Zach Zanishin, I don't see him making the NHL. Uh, Beecher is too far down the road for me to tell you anything. I can tell you the reviews are pretty good from what I hear. Uh, Frederick's an interesting one. Frederick kind of is uh, the forward version of what I said. They need to let Brandon Carlo be on defense where he's this big, huge dude that they want to be the next Cam Neely type or the next Milan Lucic type. Uh, and all the scouts tell me that's not him. He's big, but he's timid. He's skilled. He could still be a great fourth, potentially third guy, chip in 10 to 15 goals a, a season. But he is not everything the Bruins thought or building him up to be. And they need to realize that soon. There's actually – somebody tipped me off this, but uh, I, I got to Google it. I was actually just talking to somebody today. And there's a – a fight that took place in Springfield. I don't know if it's available online. Uh, and he was playing somebody on, uh, what the heck are they called now? Springfield. They switched too much for me. The Falcons still? <laughs> I don't know. No, there's something else, right? Anyhow, I'm getting old, brother. Sorry. I'm and, right there uh, with you. And he got challenged all game and just kept skating away from a guy. So that scares me. You know, and, and that's, they need that guy and they think Frederick's it and everyone else is saying he's not. And and I guess if you if you accept the players for for who they are and what they are, be it Carlo or Frederick, that allows you to see exactly where those holes are. Because if Thank Frederick you. is that fourth line player, if he's a third line player, and he's chipping in ten to fifteen goals, and he's playing good defense, and you can trust him on the PK, there's a lot of value in that. Exactly. You now do, wrong you, with that. You now don't have to go out and spend two or three million dollars on a veteran to give you what you're getting for the minimum out of Frederick, which allows you to spend more money on someone like Taylor Hall or, you know, whoever, yep. whoever it may be. You know, I love Chris Wagner and I loved, you know, I, you know, I, you love the, the, the hometown guys that are coming home, but if you don't have to, those players are fungible, you know, you don't have to spend money on, on the Wagner types, if you've got that in your system and, and the Bruins have to see if they've got it in this, in their system, I guess. So 
Yeah, yeah, that's a great point by you. And I think, you know, as I said before, it hurts the development of a player too, mm-hmm. you know, because the player's kind of just looking to his coaches and management for guidance. And, you know, he's being told one thing, but then maybe he's being, you know, and he's kind of got an identity crisis, so to speak. So, um, yeah, they need to just accept what he is moving forward. And then I think maybe he ends up being a pretty solid prospect. Uh, but other than that, no, I'm not, I don't like what's, what's coming, man. I mean, this, this, this things could get interesting in the next few years for the Boston Bruins. Yeah. They've, they've, you know, I mean, you go back to 2015, you know, and, and, and it's, you know, an argument that, you know, it doesn't have a ton of merit because there are you know, a dozen other teams that passed on Barzal and, you know, so that, 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 that three in a row pick in, in, in 2015, I mean, that really could come back to, to bite him in the butt if, if, you know, I mean, and DeBrusque has Not been, good. DeBrusque Not has been, good. it already did. Yeah. I mean, DeBrusque has been a solid player, but I mean, as you mentioned, they haven't signed him yet and there's, there's talk about trading him. And, and if he was really that valuable, they would have locked him up already. So, yeah. You know, there's, there's, they've definitely had their issues when it, when it's come to the draft and, and hopefully one or more of these players can, can, can pick it up. So I've got, I got one more question for you, Jimmy, and, and you've sort of alluded to it here a little bit, but uh, you know, I'll I'll sort of preface into this. So it was, it was obviously, it was a very underwhelming off season. As we talked about the core is a year older, not that they're all old. I mean, Pasternak's still in his early but Patrice and Krejci and these guys are starting to get up there in age. Some of the prospects are talented, but they're unproven at best. Bruins fans, I mean, myself included, man, Bruins fans are, are pessimistic by nature. So can you, can, I saw, um, I think um, um, I saw it on Twitter yesterday where the Bruins are still considered one of the top bets in the NHL to, to make a run at the Stanley Cup this year. Convince me that's the reality. Convince me that if they run into the lightning in the postseason again this year, that they have any shot of getting through Tampa Bay and making another run uh, with the core the way that it is. They don't. <laughs> that's what I was afraid you were going to say. You know, plain, plain and simple. It, it's, no, they, 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 I think, too, the, the thing we're going to see, too, right now, and I didn't mean to cut you off, but in no, the next fine. few years, it is – we're not even talking about teams that are about to break through teams that have been, you know, basement teams and stockpiling picks and quietly developing and and drafting correctly. And and, and I'm not saying that the Ottawa senators are going to make the playoffs this year, but they're going to steal points. If you follow me. Mm -hmm. All right. And, and not that it affects the Bruins. I'd watch the LA Kings in the West as well. I I think, I, I mean, I'm not afraid to say it. I think the LA Kings have a legit chance at making the playoffs this year. Just remember you heard it here. I'm telling you, go look at their lineup and look at, look at the amount of cap space they have. Ottawa senators do have a lot of cap space. They could still do something to be one of those peripheral teams that maybe the Bruins at the end of the season, let's say they have some injuries or maybe they just take a couple days off COVID hits. Who knows what could happen in this crazy world we're living in right now. But you know, I could easily see a point where like 2016, you know, it comes down to a final game of the season against the Ottawa senators, win, you're in, lose, you're out. And the senators beat them because I think the senators on any given night can win any given game. 
that's where I think they're at. They're they are they are knocking on heaven's door right now, and they're they're going to be a dynamo going forward after this season. They are going to be a perennial playoff contender. Trust me. So I think that's the problem where the Bruins are right now is they they've fallen down into that middle category. I, I don't put them in the top five anymore. I put them in that middle category where they really don't have an identity. Are we are, are we are we going towards the future here? Are we still in the present? Are we in the past? And if they don't address that by the time the puck drops, I mean, not only do I not think they can beat the Tampa Bay Lightning, I don't know if they make the playoffs. Wow. That's, that would be something. I mean, the, the, the issue with the Bruins over the, and you mentioned this almost at the very beginning, the, the issue with the Bruins over the last couple of years has been their depth. They are a one and a half line team, really. And, but that one and a half lines, I mean, we talked about, Marshawn and Bergeron and Pasternak being the top line in the NHL, you know, at worst, one of the top three lines in the NHL. So that top line talent that they have, I mean, McAvoy on the back end, they've got, they've got some skill, but it sounds like they may not have enough to keep up with teams that are like they, the Bruins may be sliding back a little bit, but the teams that are behind them are catching up a whole lot faster. And, 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 and yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. I mean, you know, hockey is, has always been my, my first love and, and, you know, I am a, I, like I said, I live in Chicago now, but I am, I will always be a Bruins fan through and through. So, you know, the, 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 the dark days ahead are, are, are absolutely not what I'm looking forward to, especially you know, while we deal with the last, the last few years of Patrice and Krejci and well, potentially Sachara. It's ironic you're in Chicago because I, I think that's kind of what the Bruins are about to be. I mean, they kind of, you look at the Chicago Blackhawks and what they just did. They wrote that letter to their fans and they admitted it. They said, all right, put our hands up. You know what? We're rebuilding. And they're in a very similar situation with Taves and Kane and, you know, like Bergeron and Krejci. And, you know, they have veterans like that there. You know, you got to throw Brad Marchand in there too you know, maybe weren't planning on being in this situation this fast. And you could tell, I think, if you go back and watch a lot of videos, I think David Krejci directly uh, mentioned it, that maybe, you know, what whether it's been management, coaches, players, fans, media, maybe we've been in denial of how close the Bruins were to this. And maybe they're there already where the Blackhawks are now after writing that letter. And, you know, I think, we're going to see, I don't know though. I don't know if the Bruins would actually write the letter. I don't know if Jacobs would allow that. Um, but I, I think the Bruins are, you know, following in the Blackhawks footsteps and that's not to say it's a bad thing. If they can start to learn to draft better and put in the pieces where they need to and, and, and really like open up towards the future and admit where they are in the long term, it's better off. Cause if they keep hanging on thinking they're a cup contender when they're not, that's when you really get into that dangerous mediocre territory there like that we saw you're about the same age as me that we saw way too long uh from the mid 90s to the mid 2000s yeah oh well you say I, you know I'll, I'll tell you i love those those mid 90s and late 90s bruins i'm actually sitting here in my my jason allison my jason allison jersey right now so i love those late 90s teams with allison and defoe and samson off yeah. and i love those teams but you're right i mean those teams were fun but they were never going to be good enough. Past the second round, right? You they know? were they were never going to be good enough, and that's yeah. what you don't want. You know, you don't want to get stuck in 
in in purgatory. You don't want to get stuck yeah. in that in that, you know, I'm an eight seed every single year. You know, I'd rather so, you suck for three years straight. You know, and, and I think I think it's look bo- what Ottawa and LA, like I just mentioned, Ottawa and LA, mm-hmm. they are the perfect example of how to acknowledge where you are and rebuild in the cap era. And think about you look at next year, the free agent market coming out next year. It's way better than it was this year. Those two teams, if they play their cards right and they, they don't do anything stupid between now and then, they're going to be able to say, well, you know what? We finished just missing. Let's say they just missed the playoffs, like I'm predicting, right? They're, they're right in the border there. And then they're like, oh, we got a ton of money here to spend. We're going to go raid the free agent market. And all of a sudden, boom, they're contenders. And what did it take? Two, three years? Tops? Come on. I, I think, that, you know, the Bruins might have to really consider that and say, this is where we're at. And, and that's okay. Yeah, definitely some some decisions to be made over the next next 12 months by by Don and Cam. So, Jimmy, I want to again, I want to thank you for your time. Um, again, I know you're not feeling well, so thanks for it's taking right. some time to talk to me. Uh, once again, I was joined by uh, Jimmy Murphy of Boston Hockey. Now, Jimmy, thanks for your time. And uh, hopefully we can talk again during the season. For sure, man. Anytime. Good All luck. Right. Thanks, Jimmy. And that was my interview with Boston Hockey Now writer Jimmy Murphy. Audio versions of this and all of my interviews can be found anywhere podcasts are located. I will include links to those below. If you want to get in touch with me, otherwise you can do so on Facebook or YouTube at Around the World Sports, or you can find me on Twitter at Sports Guy Aaron. You can also email me if you have any suggestions uh, for upcoming interviews or questions at Aaron IMS Lombard at gmail.com. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll talk to you soon. Be seeing you. Bye bye. Till next time. And that's the way it is. Take care of yourself. Good night, and good luck.